0: Welcome back. This is episode 213 of the Primrose Chronicles Project, and I'm Marty Young. Usually your narrator and rock and tour for most of these weekly installments. However, this week is another variation from the regular offerings where I usually spin a tale about the old neighborhood on the northeast side of Indianapolis in the 50s and 60s. Instead, as I've been doing about once a month in this second season... I've turned that chore over to another guest who shares his remembrances of that era and area, while I just try and keep the conversation between the lines. I continue to call the features sometimes personalities on Primrose, or characters of the Chronicles, still haven't settled on a definitive expression. One thing I do know is this month's character or personality ranks high on my list of folks who I'm excited to introduce to you all, my faithful listeners. Many a night, as a baby boomer teen, I fell asleep. Transistor radio under my pillow, crystal radio earbud jammed into my auditory canal so as not to miss a word, a bit, or a record that was a part of this man's evening delivery. You may recall it as well, as he was the hottest thing in nighttime Indianapolis Top 40 radio at the close of the 50s and the early 60s.
1: Hi, how you doing? This is Dick Summer, and I'm standing on the parking lot here at Merrill's Heidecker, 38th Street, right across from the State Fairgrounds, hoping you will show up to play Make It or Break It here on WIBC. I think it went something like that, didn't it? Actually, this really is Dick Summer, and after all of these years, I'm glad I'm still able to stand up anywhere without a walker and oxygen. Boy, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Been lots of hits and lots of misses along the way for all of us in all of those years. And I hope they've been good years for you. They have been for me. And I really want you to know there has never been a time in my life that I remember with more warmth and fondness than those nights that we used to hang out together at Merrill's Heidecker all of those years ago. Thanks for that.
0: That's right. It's my honor to have the legendary R&R Hall of Fame on-air radio personality, Dick Summer, who, before going to fame in the large markets of Boston on WBZ, And New York City on WNEU and WABC was the host of Summertime, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Indy's own radio powerhouse, WIBC 1070 AM. You are in for a treat, as Dick shares anecdotes and remembrances from those years, 1957 to 63 in Indy, especially atop Merrill's Heidecker Drive-In Hamburger Restaurant and the other memorable dance parties and record hops during those years, We'll be talking about also what he's been up to since his stint at Wibsey, And you'll discover that he still has the wry wit, the velvet voice, and the genuine personal appeal that made him a radio treasure. He's also as busy as ever with voiceover work, regional and national commercials, weekly podcasts, and blogs. Those interested can check out his website, DickSummer.com, and I'll promote that again before we close. Our actual conversation went for over an hour, and it was my nearly impossible task to cull it to a manageable TPC episode length. As a result, I'll be doing what I've done only once before with the characters of the Chronicles segments. I'll be offering the unedited director's cut as a later listening opportunity for those who are members of the fans of Primrose Chronicles' Facebook page. So, Become a member and check out the link when it posts. It's our complete back and forth and banter, giving you a fuller sense of why I found this experience so delightful. I'm confident many of you will get a full helping in this episode and come back for seconds when I post the follow-up. So, with that lead-in, that setup, join me as I welcome my special guest, Dick Summer, the voice from the glass booth above.
2: Well, we're into another interview, of which this is the sixth of the second season. And the other folks that I've interviewed up to this point are folks, as it relates to the Primrose Chronicles, folks who have been impacted by the old neighborhood that we many of us grew up in or old neighborhoods that we experienced as septuagenarians and the like growing up all across this United States. But my guest today is a very special individual in that, he had a major impact on Indianapolis radio, but certainly the teen culture and many of us getting through those years. And my guest today is a nationally recognized Hall of Fame rock and roll on-air personality by the name of Dick Summer. He's known perhaps by voice, even if you don't know him by name. He has one of America's most comfortable Familiar voices. He's been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, as I said, with radio stations in Boston and New York City. Top radio personality in both of those markets. But before that, back about 1957 or so through about 63, he had a little speed bump in his road to radio notoriety at Indianapolis radio station, WIBC 1070, which was in its own right a Midwest radio giant, and he had the evening show, Summertime, which broadcasts from about 9 o'clock until whenever I fell asleep, I guess it was about 1 or whatever, but he also was later with a a competitor, radio station, WISH, and also Wish Television, where he had a weekend Dance party by the name of RC Rhythm Carnival, sponsored by RC Cola. And so I'm going to have a chance to talk about that. But I just want to say before Dick comes on that I've always considered him the consummate storyteller, an excellent example of personality radio the way it used to be. And I long for those days. There's nothing like it out there much anymore. And just the way it used to be done when a uh, This jockey radio personality talked to the audience, not at the audience, and it made us feel like we were hearing from somebody who really cared about what was going on in our lives. So uh, with all that hype, Mr. Dick Summer, I want to welcome you to this podcast and welcome you on behalf of my audience to this next few minutes of just hopefully... Recollecting a little bit about your time in Indianapolis those years prior to hitting the big time, so Dick, welcome and thank you
1: again for being willing to be a part of this. Marty, it is my pleasure, and with an introduction like that, uh, wow! I, I better be half decent here tonight. Um, <laughs> half decent's always enough, right?
2: <laughs> well, I would just say, as far as this intro was concerned. You have nothing to live up live up to as it relates to these next few minutes. All you have to do is talk. And just to hear your voice is in itself a very calming, soothing, familiar respite from a lot of stuff. But if you would not mind, would you share with the audience how in the world you got to Indianapolis? You're a New York boy. (laughs) You went to college in New York at Fordham. How'd you end up in the center
1: of Fly over America? I think the radio business is a lot like the baseball business. You start very small. As a matter of fact, you just start at any station that will put you on the air. As a matter of fact, I got my start at my school station, WFUV, which is the Fordham Student School Station. And I spent probably as much time in the studio at WFUD as I did in in the classes. And, and if you're a, a, a baseball player, you, you start small, too. You know, maybe uh, playing for the varsity at your school or, or, or the Long Island League, something like that, any place that will let you play, either with a ball or with a record. or these days with an mp3 Mm uh you can't really call those guys disc jockeys anymore because there aren't any discs at the radio station (laughs) then you go to single a it's professional my case it was wnrc in new rochelle for 75 cents an hour Mm. the station was in a two-car garage And I remember the program director, I I, I said to the program director, I think we should buy uh, a a 45 RPM player because uh, they're beginning to really catch on. And he said, nah, they'll never catch on. Mm. So that was my introduction to single A radio. Moved up double A, I guess you would call that uh, WCPO. In Cincinnati, the show was live from the comedy restaurant, which was a nice place downtown and I learned a lot about radio from doing that uh, There was the t v show it was six hours on a non air conditioned room, mm-hmm. and then a radio show that night, so I was on the air for what nine hours ten hours, and it was really fascinating and again I learned a lot Um, one thing that I learned was you don't take your jacket off in the Midwest in the 50s Mm. when you're on TV because that's what I did and I got fired for it Uh, there was no uh, air conditioning in the place and you can imagine what it was like Mm. Uh, there were three sections of young people uh, who came to dance on the show and I had to stand there under the lights, and I took my jacket off, and I heard from the boss very quickly. So uh, that was double A, you know, hmm. for me. Then uh, moved up to triple A. I would say that's what I would call WIBC. WIBC was a heck of a radio station, fifty thousand watts. Actually, I was hired twice at WIBC. The first time, uh, I did an evening show there, and it was sold to a whole bunch of car dealers. The car dealers didn't like the fact that I was very young, because they figured that a very young guy couldn't sell cars. So the station fired me, and I went to St. Louis, and I just didn't fit in there at WIL for some reason. just didn't feel right. And fortunately for me, WIBC called again and told me about Merrill's Heidecker, where they were going to put a remote broadcast every night. And I said,
3: "Woo-hoo!"
1: And the the wonderful thing about it is, they let me do whatever I wanted to do. Hmm. So that show was the best I could do at whatever was going on. And uh, you can never tell when somebody is listening uh, to a radio show or to a a podcast or whatever. David Letterman was a listener. I didn't know it, but he took a feature that I called Make It or Break It and uh, he used it on his college radio station. And. (laughs) It, it, that notice of that came up in a book that somebody sent me,
3: mm. and
1: they called me the Pompadour d- Disc Jockey from Brooklyn. <laughs> you can imagine that. Uh, I am not six foot eight uh, like you are, uh-huh. and so I, the Pompadour was as high as I could get it. You know. Uh, Bertie Herman was the evening king on WIRE at that point. Mm -hmm. And I got to meet him and he's just a marvelous nice guy. And one of the things that I had, you you talk about storyteller, I I did, um, at midnight, we always had a short story. Usually something like The Raven by Poe, Edgar Mm -hmm. Allan Poe, and I liked that. And, you know, it was in the middle of the night And I I thought a a story was very apropos, as you say. Uh, Early reference was a guy by the name of William B. Williams, and you know him too. And Willie B., as he was called, had a voice that was a little bit like an arm coming around out out of the speaker, an Hmm. arm coming around your shoulder to, to make you feel okay. You know whatever you do. Right. He, he taught me in one sentence everything I ever wanted to know about radio. William B. Williams and Vic Moon were big wheels in an outfit called Big Brothers, and you may be familiar with them. They're, they're a bunch of guys who just mentor sure. kids with whom there is no. Male figure in, in their lives. And Willie B was an excellent interviewer. And he was interviewing Vic Damone because Vic Damone was going to give a benefit concert for the kids. And Willie was going to MC it. So Willie did this wonderful interview with Vic Damone. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, now, you will, I think, appreciate this. He took about 10 seconds of dead air on WNEW in New York. Ooh. Now, people who are listening to this may not think much of this, but do me a favor. Take a look at a clock and try to hold your breath for 10 seconds. Mm. And then he just said very quietly, Vic, I really like you. Mm. wow mm. put me on the floor it was real you know and that's one of the things that i always tried to be is just real and
2: well i was just would just say that you certainly took that illustration to heart because i think that was at a, like i said at a time when so many of the dj's were almost over the top In their antics, you had humor, you had all this other stuff, but it was very easy to feel like you were talking right. As maybe somebody that I was reading likened you to an older brother that you could talk to about anything, and you were comfortable with his with his remarks the like and so i very much understand what you're saying and feel like you got that if nothing else from him you got that i really would like to go back to what you were saying earlier about that gig at Merrill's Heidecker. Some of our listeners will not know what that was. Very briefly, it was a hamburger drive-in restaurant on 38th Street, across from the Indiana State Fairgrounds. And I found it interesting. You commented that as a New York boy, you didn't have those kinds of things. You didn't have drive-ins. We had Nobbies. We had TP. We had Al Greens. And but only Merrill's Heidecker had. Next summer, and that was a, a step up because I'll show this picture on my, on the Facebook page uh, for the Primrose Chronicles. But it really was kind of like a stack of records with a glass spindle on the top, so it almost looked like a record player of the time. And in that glass booth, you were there with all your equipment. I assume you had an engineer, right?
1: Yes, we did.
2: How did you get up there?
1: There was a, uh, I guess it was like a fire escape ladder on the side of the restaurant. And that's how I got up there, just climbed up
2: that ladder. And you did it every night. How often did you come down during a
1: show? I came down as often as I could figure an excuse to come down. Because I really liked getting... In with the group of people who actually listened to the show. I mean, how often do you get a chance to do that? It was wonderful, and I I, I just loved the holy whatever out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went over to WISH,
3: <laughs>
1: the manager at at the restaurant, they they put me in a restaurant too, but it wasn't a nice setup like that. It was just a, a record player. Uh, in the restaurant itself and uh, but but the, the manager didn't like me for whatever reason I mean you know that happens and one evening I was out on the parking lot I think I was doing a make it or break it no, whatever I was out on the parking lot and he came out and he was well known because he was well armed and he had a pistol with him, and he pulled it out. He aimed it at me, and he pulled the trigger, and it went off. Oh. <laughs> and I, I thought I was dead, but it, w- it was a blank. you know. And he said, ha, ha, ha. And he went back into the restaurant. But I got even because I'm from Brooklyn, and Brooklyn guys get even. <laughs> so I got a big chunk of Limburger cheese. Oh, no. Yeah, and yeah, you you know what Limburger cheese is famous for, and this this was a big chunk, and I I put it on the uh, on the engine of his car, right near the radiator. <laughs> yes, you did get even. I got even. I, yes, you, you did. know the the Midwest was an interesting thing in a lot of different ways. One way was that. Um, uh, although I'm I'm from Brooklyn, I I don't think I speak with a Brooklyn accent, no. and I think that's because my parents didn't speak with a Brooklyn accent, and so most of the people I knew, well you know did, didn't really speak with an accent. So the first time I was really aware of the Brooklyn accent was one day I was listening to the radio, and Edie Gourmet came on, and I knew Igor May slightly, because when I was a senior in college, I was a was a page at NBC, and sometimes they assigned me to The Tonight Show mm-hmm. with Steve Allen, and mm-hmm. that was an amazing feature, also just, uh, just Steve Allen was was. You can't imitate Steve Allen because no matter how hard you try, you're not going to be able to do it. But Edie Gourmet was about four foot nothing and uh, I don't think she was 100 pounds. And Steve Allen had a big swinging orchestra because he was a musician and he just loved big band sounds Mm -hmm. and so did Edie Gourmet. So picture this, if you will standing in the spotlight in front of this huge swinging orchestra, this four-foot-nothing little girl with a huge voice. And i one of the things that just freaked me out was when she hit a high note, she'd stand up on her toes mm. to hit that high note. So I'm I'm digressing, I guess, but uh, that was one of my my introduction to to the Midwest because the the song she did was called "I'll Take Romance," but the way it came out was "I'll Take Romance." Oh, <laughs> so you know, that, that was mm-hmm. just a, a nice kind of thing. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. First off,
2: again. Was Make It or Break It your contribution to radio, or did you take it from somebody else as well? I don't think I knew there was a radio record, and Dick Clark had stuff on his dance party and that kind of stuff that was, give it a 78, it's hard to dance to, blah, blah, blah. But what about Make It or Break It? Because it was pretty much a nightly feature. You probably had songs that you were sure were going to make it, and just because we were pains out in the parking lot, we voted to have it broken by you or your engineer or whatever. Was make it or break it yours? As far as I know,
1: very cool. Uh, I, I you no, know, Marty. I they let me do whatever I wanted to do. Yep. That was one of the one of the great things, and 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 they let me do a a, a poetry hour. At midnight, wow. uh, I, I'd do a short story every night.
2: Okay. So you had as much time as you wanted for that poetry part?
1: Uh, yeah. It wasn't limited? Oh, yeah. wow. I mean, and, you know, somebody's listening to this podcast who's a, presently employed as a disc jockey. <laughs> Figure that. You walk into a big, important radio station, and they say, yeah, do whatever you want to do. Mm. Wow. Do you well, know, that's where,
2: that's where Make It your, or
1: Break It came from.
2: Okay. With, with all of those things, plus the poetry, plus Make It or Break It, plus your music lead-ins that were so classic in terms of bringing the first line of the song into your last line, of your story, all those kinds of things that you did from your location. I was just wondering, was there any part of that that for you, you knew you had something, you had it in a bottle, so to speak, and it was something that would transfer wherever you took it?
1: You know, it, it, it's fascinating to me that somebody said that I sounded like a big brother because that's how I felt. I was in my. Early 20s, I guess, at that time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And as you pointed out, in Brooklyn, we didn't have drive in restaurants. So here, this radio station paid me to sit up on top of the, the drive in and look down at all those pretty girls running around <laughs> uh, waitressing. You know, and, and they paid me for this. Uh-huh. How can
2: you go wrong? well and i guess another question i would have along those lines is what did you picture your audience as in order to have that kind of connection i guess
1: i i again i was in my early 20s and i just felt like i come from a big family uh, you know i have four brothers and And so I'm used to a lot of people in the family, and that's what it felt like. It felt like felt like Willie B saying, "Vic, I really like you." And that's what I always wanted to be able to do. He was on in the evening for a long time at WNEW in New York, and um, my parents gave me a transistor radio. For Christmas, I think I was like five years old or something, and it was you know the the usual transistor radio under the pillow thing, and he made it feel when he was talking, you know, if you were a guy, he might come along and, and give you a punch on the shoulder and mm. uh, and tell you kind of an off color joke and make you feel better, and if you were a girl there was an equal and opposite reaction of some kind or another made you feel safe. Mm. I think that was the word you felt mm-hmm. safe. And I always wanted to be able to do that. And I I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yes, yes it really
2: does. And it
1: helps to, I guess, lead into a quote that I
2: pulled up that unfortunately didn't, didn't give a, footnote too, so I don't remember. Yeah, I I know you said it, but I don't know in what context, but part of a anecdote you offered ended up with this statement that the most wonderful part of the kind of radio I did was, as long as I was on the air, I was never too late to have a happy childhood. I don't ever want to get too old or too angry to do goofy stuff. And that was an interesting take on what you did
1: night in and night out, well, thank you. That means that I was basically doing what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and and that was one of the wonderful things about my career in the radio business. Indy was a very important place to me because, as I said, I actually got to to go down with a hot mic. And and mix with listeners. And, you know, most guys don't get that chance. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I did something that the listeners liked, I knew I had something that I could do more often. And I guess I think, I think mouth versus ear came from that too. By the way, mouth versus ear was legitimate. I mean, it was based on just I, I picked a record every every uh, evening because I always went into the station first before I went up to Merrill's, and uh, you know I, I'd dig around and all the records that came in, mm-hmm. and uh, I found one that I thought was pretty good. And that was what I used for make it or break it. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, you know, we we judged it by the, the horns first. Right. You know, if you like it, honk now. If you don't like it, honk now. We we did that until it got to the point where the neighbors complained. <laughs> so we had to use <laughs> we used the, the lights, the cars lights, and uh, much more scientific I think, too. Yeah, well, I, I didn't want to interrupt what was going on in the cars too often, uh-huh. but, but, but you know, it was it was a legitimate thing, and if people uh, didn't like the record, then we broke it, mm-hmm. and if they liked it, we played it every night. So it was just fun. Yes, yes, that whole uh, that
2: whole scene was fun for so many of us. I told you earlier, and I'll, I think I've said it in one of my podcasts, too, that when you left WIBC to go to Boston and the like, you took listeners with you because you went to a clear channel station, WBZ, and it, too, was 50,000 watts, I believe, and it was easy in some nights when the wind was blowing right and atmospheric conditions were proper, we were able to pick up Dick Summer in the late hours on WBC. And as such, I, and I say all this because I'm kind of, I forget, some of your bits, I can't remember if they started in Indianapolis at Merrill's Heidecker on WIBC, or if they didn't evolve until WBZ, and I want to ask about a couple of them. One was the Girl Watchers Club. I got a card, but I can't remember if it was sent to me from Boston or if I got it from WIBC studios.
1: No, that was that was from Boston, and uh, it it was. As I said, I don't want to grow up. Uh, I I was always interested in ladies. You know, Uh, it's one of those things that happens to a guy a lot of times. And uh, obviously, if you look at a woman lasciviously, especially, you're liable to regret it. So we just had a card with a hole punched in it, and I I said, you know, you can hide behind the card, but you could uh, look through the little hole and then have a laugh about it so it would give you at least a start with the conversation. And yeah, that was the Girl Watchers Club. You
2: also had a Boy Watchers Club, though. You you were no. Yes, other- I did.
1: Yes, I did because I didn't want to create trouble for myself.
2: And the other question I I have to ask, and that is,
1: were you doing
2: one hen, two
1: ducks in Indiana? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that was actually a. Uh, a, a record that was put out, and I thought it was a terrific
3: bit. <laughs> I had so
1: that
3: record.
1: I, it was the 45. It was Hugo and Luigi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had that, yeah. <laughs> so I, I figured we'd make that a, a, a password uh-huh. because I didn't know that computers were going to come along and you're going to have to have a password. But the guy who was on before me at WBZ was Bruce Bradley, and he was a brilliant DJ. I mean, he was just the best. And we we used to do a, a turnover. You know, when I I came in at 11:30, and uh, BZ was a station a little bit like WIBC. You know, if you wanted to do a five-minute bit, as long as it made sense, go ahead, do it, you know? So we used to go back and forth, and uh, interestingly, maybe uh, for for people listening to the podcast, they may not know it, but uh, there are only a handful of 50,000-watt clear-channel radio stations in the country, probably maybe 10 or 15, Uh and when I say a handful, I mean that's it. WBZ WB, uh, was a clear channel station. Uh, there was nobody else on 1030 on the dial. And that that means the station could be heard in, in 38 states at night. And as a matter of fact they got an air check from some Boston guys who were listening on Midway Island in the Pacific Ocean. They were in the Air Force. So that was just a a monster thing.
3: Mm. And
1: that's the only reason I left Indianapolis, because I really loved it there. But you you can't turn down a thing like that. Well, I think a lot of folks
2: would say thanks for being with us and thanks for the years you gave us, because it was one of those magical times. It was a special time in radio. Spinning the platters meant something and as a result i just really i i followed you to wbz with my little crystal radio as i told you before but the, that i just wondered you are a few years removed from those from those air checks et cetera. are you still capable of reciting the password <laughs>
1: One in, two ducks, three squawk geese, four limber roasters, five corpulent porpoises, six pair of Donald Bears' tweezers, seven thousand Macedonians in full battle array, eight brass monkeys from the ancient grips of Egypt, nine apathetic, sympathetic, ten diabetic old men on roller skates with a marked propensity to procrastination and sloth. Ten lyrical, spherical, diabolical denizens of the deep who all stall around the corner of the coal of the, quay, the queasy at the very same time. Beep, beep. So you can.
3: Yes, that, <laughs>
2: that is the high point of this, of this interview. Thank you so much.
1: That is uh, that
2: is just awesome. And I'll probably put the link to the YouTube that has that actual song on the Facebook page just to let them know how correct you were in the sharing of that. So I uh, I appreciate that. That leads to one other question before I start wrapping this up. And there may be much more you want to say, and I'll give that to you. But the other thing is it related to wib You guys were our stars. The ones that your radio personalities were our stars. We didn't get a lot of many others through there of any notoriety to speak of. And so did you have any type of interaction because of your schedules and whatever with guys like Bill Baker in the morning or Jim Shelton in the afternoon or any of those others?
1: Oh, yeah. Bouncing Bill. Sure. Bouncing Bill and I had a contest to see who could eat. The most hamburgers in, I think, 10 minutes or <laughs> half hour, or something like that.
3: And uh, we went
1: back and forth about that. Huh. And Bill was claiming that he could eat so many, and I, I said, Well, you know, uh, I could eat that too, but I'm not a pig. And, <laughs> you know, we just <laughs> went back and forth. Uh-huh. And Jim Shelton, as a lot of people knew, Jim was a very thoughtful and a very nice guy. And I I had a lot of respect for for Jim. I thought that pick-a-pocket show that he did was a very interesting idea. So, yeah. And then Easy Gwynn was the afternoon guy. And every once in a while, Easy would take a day off. And sometimes they assigned me to do his show. And that was an interesting experience.
2: I was just curious. You were gone before... Weiss came in and took over the airwaves from WIBC. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay.
1: They did the exact opposite of what you're talking about from WIBC. They came in with a very tight format, and this blew everybody away, which I'm sorry about that, you know?
2: Well, why don't we wrap this up a little bit by you telling this audience, what you're doing now and how they can perhaps hear your velvet sounds in another capacity, what you're doing in terms of podcasts and CDs and MP3 files and anything else that you're doing when you're not piloting your little airplane and that kind of
1: thing. Well, yeah, okay, thank you. There are six, I think, six CDs of uh, some material that I've written and recorded. And there is a book called Staying Happy, Healthy and Hot. We're the brand new Louie Louie generation with a picture of me on the front at a microphone at WNEW, which was another story. The, The book is a group of little vignettes from my life and At the end of it, there is a a thing called the smudge, and I asked you to look into it because I know a little bit about your background, and the smudge brings up a question of, I think, some interest to a lot of people. And there's a podcast, as I do a podcast at com slash podcast. That's how you get it and there's a new one every week. So far, there are 800 and something of them done. So if anybody feels like listening to a little more of this, go up to your friendly computer and put in com slash podcast, and you will hear a lot.
2: Yes, I've listened to several. So there are there are ways to reconnect for some of you or to be introduced afresh to one of the not only nice guys in radio from my discovery to one of the most seminal professionals in the business. And you were somebody I wanted to grow up and be like. You played a big part in just causing me to talk into my hairbrush and all kinds of other things growing up. Dick, I'm going to let you go. I promised to try and keep you to an hour, and I've held you past that, and, but I just want to say thank you again. I thank you for even taking the call of a an old septuagenarian that's trying to stay out of the way of his wife occasionally, and that's what this opportunity provides me. would ask that you thank your wife for sharing you with us in this last hour, and uh, <laughs> so, so thank you, friend, and I certainly continue, consider you a Louie Louie guy, so thank you.
1: <laughs> Thanks a that. I can't think of a better uh, compliment. And uh, let's please stay in touch. You have my phone number, and you have my request—not just uh, permission, but uh, so, you know, just—if you don't mind, just let me make one comment more. Yeah. Uh, WBZ—they went out a lot. They like to get out into the market, which I thought was very good and this one time when they decided that the disc jockeys would play a basketball game it was the Boston Patriots at that time before the New England Patriots and I, I played a lot of sports but basketball was not one of them in any event the station sent the secretaries to be cheerleaders for the disc jockeys and since I was on overnights People paid very little attention to me, and I wasn't giving them very much to pay attention on the basketball court anyway. But there was always, any time I did anything that wasn't just drastic, I heard this one very nice mezzo soprano voice, mm-hmm. and I, I looked over and I saw the originator of that voice. And she had long brown hair, sparkling blue eyes, and more curves than <laughs> than any of the baseball pitchers you've ever heard of. And that was pretty nice. So they had, had a chartered a bus to take us to and from the game. And on the way back, I, I got a seat and there was an seat next to me. And I thought, well, maybe she'll sit down next to me. And she did, and she's sitting in the next room now. Uh, so, so it worked out pretty good. And that's how many years together?
2: Fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. Well, congratulations, friend. That's uh, That in itself is a... Stay sport. at it. You'll make it eventually. Yes, Lord willing, and uh, uh, that speaks to your... Attitude and gratitude as a Louie Louie guy. Thank you. You take
1: care of yourself.
2: Okay, buddy. Thank you. I sure appreciate the time and I'll look forward to talking further with you. And there you have it a look and a listen to someone who had as much of an impact on the baby boomer teen culture as any of the artists whose discs he jockeyed or platters he spun. Again, I want to say thanks. To Dick Summer for his generosity in giving me his time for this special chapter of TPC, but also, in a small way anyway, for his friendship going forward. I'm humbled to be in his circle of acquaintances, having been in his sphere of influence in my adolescent years. Remember, all of Dick's CDs, podcasts, and blogs are available at DickSummer.net. I've listened and read to several. All of them reflect the fact that he continues to be a master storyteller, with the most warm and personal voice around. I just finished reading his collection of some of his best in Staying Happy, Healthy, and Hot with the brand new Louie Louie generation. I highly recommend it as a great read and a commentary of life. The director's cut announcement that I referred to will post on the Fans of Primrose Chronicles Facebook page Sunday, June the 11th. You'll find a lot of this conversation was left on the cutting room floor, as it were. In some ways, it's a whole different listen. But next episode, as it leads into Father's Day, it's a roundabout way to honor my dad, Don Young, in particular, and dads in general with a tale that features him, tentatively titled The White Shirt Directive. The story is familiar to many of you through my annual memorial to Dad, but perhaps you'll catch a few new insights into the young family patriarch. Till then, head right out of the Heidecker lot on 38th, left on Creek Parkway at and down past the fairgrounds, go left on Evanston, then again left on 42nd, right on Ralston all the way up to 44th around the bend, and yeah, you know where you are. Where I meet you at the beginning of every chronicle. You're on Primrose Lane. Avenue. Did you have any shake left? I know you're still tuned to summertime, and it seems like Dick Summer is in the car talking just to you, doesn't it? AM radio was never better. Blessing.